Merry Christmas, everyone. How's everyone doing? Thank you, Kathleen. Um, you know, you, you do my heart real well um, to look out and see the room filled with people. Um, and also because I'm slightly petty, uh, I want to take a picture of this and send it to all my pastor friends <laughs> who said, oh, we're not going to meet Christmas Day. Nobody's going to show up. Um, so, yeah, pray for my pettiness. Um, we're going to go to Scripture. Uh, we're going to read two passages of Scripture. And um, for those of you who were here last week, you're going to hear the passage that we read last week because there's kind of an unfinished aspect to last week's sermon. One point um, that I think was so important to make that I'm kind of meshing it with the text this morning about Christmas because um, I really think the more I sat with it, prayed, really felt like it was something that we needed to just spend some time in. The first verse of Scripture is found in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verse 22 and 23. It says this, All this took place, speaking of the birth of Jesus, to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Romans chapter 8, verse 35 to 39, it says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you join me in prayer? Lord Jesus, thank you for the absolute honor and joy the indescribable gift it is to wake up this morning with breath in our lungs and to come together as a people to celebrate, to reflect, to sit with the historic reality that we are sitting with today, that you came into this world, that you lived among us, that you tasted the, the full experience of, of humanity, and you did that in order to redeem us. Lord, speak to us. Speak to us this morning from your word in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You know, this time of year, it's an interesting time of year, especially in a city like ours, in that despite just the, the, the many worldviews, the many religions that exist in, in a diverse, pluralistic city, a city like ours, there's a common kind of Christmas experience that people are having. And so many conversations come up, this, regardless of someone's faith or not, or the absence of faith. And the conversations are similar, uh, kind of sound like this. Hey, so, hey, what are you doing during Christmas? What are you doing during the break? Um, many people, their companies are winding down as the year end approaches. And so 
Um, folks are visiting family. They're doing all sorts of things. They're having meals. They're, they're uh, being tourists for a day. There's all sorts of ways that if you actually just ask people, could you summarize this time of year? Some might say family get-togethers or dinners or outings or this or that. But for us, the most succinct way we would summarize this time of year would be to say, God with us. What this time of year for us represents, it's bigger than Christmas trees, it's bigger than holiday dinners, it's bigger than celebrations with family members. For us, this time of year is summed up in the significance of those words, God with us. And why is that significant? Because almost every other religion, faith, in essence, what they really try really hard to do is to teach us what we have to do in order to find ourselves worthy, in order to be with God. And so we have to adhere to certain things, obey certain things, believe certain things, and if we do, then we are granted permission to be with God. Yet, what the Christian faith distinctly and powerfully says, and this time of year reminds us of that, is everything that God has done to be with us. That what we celebrate this year is not our goodness, our attempts to be clean enough, to be righteous enough, to be holy enough in order to be with God. We celebrate this time of year a God who did not hold back, who was not reserved in his attempt to be with us. And not just in being willing to be born into a manger and, and, and to the mess of humanity, but also to be with us in our day-to-day existence that's marked by so much brokenness and ups and downs, we celebrate today a God who is more than willing, powerfully so, to be with us. And what's interesting is that outside of a religious context, there's probably no greater phrase that carries more weight than when you hear someone say, I'm with you. I'm with you. There's probably nothing that resonates and impacts our hearts more than when someone genuinely goes out of their way to just be with us. No agenda. Not trying to change you, not expecting something from you, but actually just to be with you. You know, I realize in a city like ours, it, it always it has the potential to make us jaded, to make us on guard, and it makes us suspicious sometimes of people that actually come to us and say, I have no agenda. We say, okay, but what's your agenda? You know, like we're, we're always used to someone using us, wanting something from us. What's the angle But when you encounter someone who is just genuinely with you, it's powerful. It's transformative. And that's what we experience in this season. We celebrate the living God saying, I want to be with you. Do you know that regardless of what you're going through, what you're feeling, what has been said about you, what's been done to you, That from the living God's heart to yours is this constant, never-changing message that says, I just want to be with you. No strings attached. You don't need to have a certain test score.
God being present with us, with us, being near us because he loves us. In my years of pastoral ministry, a lot of the counseling that I've done with couples, probably one of the biggest things I've heard repeatedly, sadly, most of the time, particularly from wives, is just, I just want him to be with me. Just, just be present. Be present at home. And often we, we get this idea that when God is with us, he's with us because he wants to fix something. But what if this season we would let it penetrate our hearts that he's with us because he just wants to be with us. You know, he's with you because he loves you. He's not with you waiting for you to change that thing that you know is wrong, that you know needs to get fixed, and you think he's only with you because he wants to point that out and he wants to remedy that. And then, in your mind, he can justify his presence with you. No, he's with you. He's with me. He's with us as we are. And Christmas, this season, proves the lengths that God is willing to go just to be with us. You know, I heard this, this anecdotal story of, of teachers in a really troubled school district. And what they said was that in the beginning of the week, kids like Monday, Tuesday, they're still really on edge, really volatile. Anything can trip them up. But by Wednesday, Thursday, their best versions of them come. But then by Friday, a switch goes off and they revert back. And what the teachers were, were commenting on is that they become more volatile, the realization that they know that they're going to return for a couple of days to what awaits them. They know they're going to be in a setting where they're not going to feel much love, much attention, much presence. We crave for connection. We crave for people to notice us, to be with us, no strings attached, to treat us with dignity. And in the living God, we experience that. And this season reminds us of it. If you look, all of our songs, movies, stories, they all have this powerful connective tissue of love, the loss of love, the rekindling of love, while people wait for someone to just be with them. And in this season, when we celebrate Emmanuel, God with us, we're celebrating the living God being near us, just as we are, no strings attached, not trying to be near us in order to change us so that he can be near us. He's with us in the state that we're in. And this is the most radical, distinctive thing that the world has ever seen. That's why in the scriptures it's called good news, the gospel. Because this is radical good news that the world is yearning to hear. This is what we all want it's what we all long for. This is what we sing about. This is what we write about. This is what we're hoping for. And during this season, we are reminded that what we long for has already arrived. That in Jesus, we can experience what the human heart is searching for. In those words, God with us. But if that's what God is saying to us during this season, it raises 
two questions that I want us to think about before we close. If God is communicating to us during this season that he's with us, the question that raises for us, will we be with him? Will we be with God? See, it, a lot, we can choose to think that we can be somewhat neutral about who Jesus is, ambivalent about this season, and categorize it as something that we consider but doesn't let it transform or impact our lives. But the truth is, it's impossible to be truly neutral about what we're talking about. The living God saying, I'm with you, I will be with you, regardless of what's going on with you, I will be with you even if you don't have perfection or don't have it together. For you to believe that, for you to actually contemplate that and consider that, and for that not to change your life is an impossibility. To actually believe that, to consider it, requires some type of a response from us. For God to say, I will be with you, and for us to not respond is to actually to, to admit that we have not fully considered what God is saying to us when he says, I will be with you. But if we fully consider that God is saying, I will be with you, then one of the things that we have to answer is, will we be with God? And if I could distill the Christian faith in the simplest way possible, it's, in essence, it's learning how to be with God, even when our hearts resist his grace. For the rest of your journey and mine, every day of our existence, the lesson to learn the school we're enrolled in is learning how to be with God even when we resist his presence in our lives. Learning how to accept the fact that God is proclaiming, I'm with you. And he invites us to say, will you be with me? And this brings us to the other text that we read in Romans 8, which is connected to last week's sermon and why I, I raised that text as part of what I felt like was like an unfinished sermon is because of this. Last week we talked at length about how God will not allow us to be separated from his love. That's what the text says. And how his love is bent toward us. And that is categorically true. Yet it's also somewhat incomplete. Here's why it's incomplete. Because the way we don't ever experience separation from God's love, it isn't just determined by his love for us, but it's also determined by us becoming the kind of people who don't want to be separated from his love. See, to know that God loves us and he chooses to never let us be separated from his love, for us to really believe that, what it should do is should transform us to become the kind of people that never want to be separated from his love. That always want to be near him. That always want to be in his presence because we know that in his presence is all that we're searching for and yearning for in all these other places. I heard a story of this young kid who launched a national business at the age of 11. And this was before the internet became as robust as it is. And so this kid actually had to do some things 
that are more exhaustive than just a few clicks on a, on a mouse. And it was a remarkable thing, a national business at the age of 11, yet when you looked at his grades, his grades were not that great. And so parents, you're not going to like this story at first. You're like, wait, you're giving an excuse for my kid to not have good grades? But here was his experience. His grandparents were the, they call them the fathers of modern positive psychology. So his grandfather invented this school of thought, which basically addresses the human soul in a strengths-based perspective. And so it looks at people not just through the lens of what's wrong, but more so it looks at people and says, what's working? What's good here? Where are their strengths here? And how could we magnify those, support those? So this kid, now this might cause some tears for some of us when you hear this story. This kid would come home with grades that were not that great. He would come home with a C, with a D, but throughout all of it, there would be one of them that would be like an A. And on that day, how many remember when you got report cards? Those were dreadful days, depending on the home you were in. Just like if you got a 98 and you're like, I know they're going to be looking for the missing two points. I, it, it, I don't mean to be light on it. I know for some of us, this brings up some semi-trauma. All his friends were stressed on report card day. This little boy, no stress at all. And his friends were curious, how come you're not stressed? One of them, he was like sweating. He's like, I don't want to go home right now. I know what's going to happen. And so he, the kid said, come, come to my house for a little bit. Relax. And then go to your house. He gets home, and this was what his parents did. It was like they looked at a report card, and they're like, okay, you got it. And then, then they looked at the A, and they said, hey, can you tell us what was happening in this class? Why did you get an A? What, was, what, what, what clicked for you? Why did you flourish here? What came easy to you? What sparked your imagination? They consistently did this with this child throughout his whole elementary school experience, all because they were trying to actually pull out what was working in him, affirm him. He grew so confident at the age of 11, he launches a national business because at that point he had heard resoundingly, yeah, I may not be good in this class, this class, but I got some strengths over here. It came to the point that all his friends just wanted to be in his house and hang out because in that atmosphere, they just felt like they could do anything. They were affirmed. They were encouraged. Why do I share that story? It's because when we look at how God invites us to be with him, after he tells us that he will be with us, it becomes a no-brainer for you and I to actually want to become the kind of people that never want to be away from God's presence. Why would you and I ever want to be separated from his love when in his presence there's joy, there's affirmation, there's security, there's comfort. There's a God who's not pointing out your deficiencies. There's a God who's just lavishing you with love. And so during this season where God invites us, will you be with me? In response to him saying, I will be with you. It's a puzzling question to consider. Why would I not want to be with God? 
Why would I not want to be the kind of person that would orient my life to be in his presence, to be about his business, to be in his work, when in his presence I find what I find nowhere else in this world? In his presence we find hope, we find security, we find someone who loves us unconditionally. And so for you and I to really, if we really consider that God is saying, I'm with you, then when the question is posed, will you be with me? It's a very simple answer that should come from us. Of course I'll be with you. Of course I'll allow myself to become the kind of person that never wants to be separated from your love. See, this, during this season, we have to consider the fact that God didn't go through all this expense of the incarnation, the crucifixion, just so that we would know he loves us up here. He went through all of that so that it could actually transform us. And you know his love is transforming you when you're not just someone who believes that God is with you, but you become someone who wants to be with God who wants to learn how to follow him, who wants to study scripture, who wants to be in community with others that are also doing the same thing, trying to apprentice after Jesus, to learn his ways, to hear his voice, to obey him. When I think of my own journey, I came to Christ when I was 14 years old. And my kid reminded me the, uh, like two days ago, I was like, Dad, you're going to be 43 next year. I said, why is that remarkable? He's just like, you're just really old, Dad. And so, I don't see any lie in that. I was like, okay. I've been following Jesus since I was 14 years old. And through all the ups and downs, if you really ask me why I continue to follow him, it's because I continue to be amazed at the fact that he wants to be with me. That through all my ups and downs, through all my brokenness, that God's resounding declaration continues to be, I want to be with you. I actually really love you. And in response to that, in the most feeble of ways, all I want to do is be a person who never is separated from his love. How amazing would it be that if someone was searching for you, if they found you, they knew that once they find you, they would find you in the presence of God. Because you're just determined to be someone who doesn't want to be separated from his love. But if that's the first question that God with us calls us to consider and respond to, will we be with God? I would propose that the other question would be, Will we be with others? Will we be with others? If we really consider the fact that during this season we celebrate God being with us in total grace as we are, if we really believe that and let that transform in us, by extension, we should become the kind of people that choose to be with others in like manner. In other words, if you really believe that God sits with you in your brokenness, the evidence of that belief 
shows up when we do the same with others? Can we learn to just be with people? Not trying to change them. Not trying to expect them to do X, Y, and Z in order for us to be with them. If there's one overwhelming critique I have of us as Christian people is that often we demand people to believe what we believe, to live as we believe before we accept them. And I don't know where we get that from because we don't get that from Jesus. Jesus sat with people, loved people to the point that he was ostracized by the religious community based on who he sat with, who he ate meals with. And he didn't sit with them and love them and extend himself to them with the condition of, you know you have to change in order for this to keep happening. He was ridiculed and mocked because he chose to sit with those a society said he should not. How powerful would it be for us to be known as people who though we believe differently, I'm not saying to have no convictions, we should have convictions. The truth is powerful. We don't, just don't flippantly dismiss it in order to be perceived as being welcoming and affirming and loving. No, it's possible to hold convictions and still be compassionate. Jesus did it. But it's not possible for us to do that if we believe the lie that somehow God is with us because we deserve his presence. Because we earned it. Because we're not broken like those people. Because we're a slightly better version of a sinner. If we believe that he's with us and we choose to be people that will be with him, by extension, we need to grow and become people that will be with others. How do you know you're actually growing to be with others? Can you sit with others that vote differently than you? Can you sit with others that have stances on issues that are really heavy and charged and yet still show up and love without reservation? One person described the holiday season like it's tap dancing on a landmine. I thought that was really brilliant. I was, I was with some family yesterday in Long Island, and most of them are not believers. And all the things that were said and done and stuff, and it, at any given moment, I'm just waiting. It's like, is the landmine going to go off? You know, like, is, is Uncle so-and-so going to get wigged out? Because this person said this about the political party or this or that. Just never know. Lots of fun. But can we learn to be with others even when the tension feels high? Can you learn to be with people that despise Jesus? That actually reduce your sincere faith to like a myth? Can you learn to be with people who are heinous in their ways. You say, oh, that's a harsh word. I don't know what, what's a better description if you actually sit with people. Have you ever sat with a drug dealer? Have you ever sat with people that are actually like behind like the pornography industry? Or like, don't know what else to describe some of this activity, some of this behavior. And yet behind all of this is someone who's made in the image of God 
who God deeply loves. I had a friend send me a video. It was actually pretty funny, um, even though it was not funny. Um, it was in Hell's Kitchen, and someone stole their gifts from the front of their door. Now, you know how stressful that is. You're waiting for something during this time of year, and you got to deliver it, and someone, uh, probably more than likely like a homeless person, just picked it up and started walking off. But they caught them. This is how they caught them. They, they realized it was happening, and they went behind them, and they had their camera on them. And this is the funny part for me. The whole time, they kept referring to this person as sir. And it was just pretty funny for me. It was like, sir, I have you. I was like, this is the most dignified, classy confrontation I've ever seen in the city. I was like, we need more of this. Sir. And it, it was just this really, and as I watched the video, I laughed after when I read like the sir part. Just because I thought of my childhood, I was like, man, we needed more class in the hood, you know, like. We needed more exalted titles toward each other. Don't look at me like that, your grace. We needed more of that. But that, the laughter came afterwards as I watched the video. I was so angry that this woman would have been put in this situation. And I, I was like, just felt tense. I was like, this is, what, if, what if she was hurt? What if, what if he turned on her? What if he just didn't want the gifts? What if he actually he was bent on doing harm to her? And then I got angry. I got afraid. I got all this stir of emotions. And her husband, who was in the thread, he said, you know, call me a softie. But I feel all of that, but I can't help but think of this guy's humanity. How he's broken. That he would be driven to do that. And that moment really spoke to me of just like, when you actually have been changed and transformed by the love of God. It empowers you to be with others. Even when they're doing things that are really difficult to wrestle with. And what empowers you to do that? Because you realize God holds the same space for you. He's with us. He invites us to be with him. And he calls us to be with others. He's not requiring our perfection, but he is requiring our presence, our presence with others, our presence with him. With that, I want to invite the worship team to come forward. As we close, could I invite us to stand at this time? In these next few moments, the prayer team is going to be in the back, to my right, to your left. And at any given moment during these next few moments of prayer, of song, you can slip out of your seat and go and receive prayer for anything you need prayer for, any of the words that were shared earlier. We would love to pray with you, and to minister to you in any way that would be fitting but whether you go and receive prayer in the back or not, if we're, could we just, just enter into this moment just for a second? Could I invite us just to close our eyes just for a moment? And what would it look like for us to wrestle with the powerful truth that this season proclaims to us? That God is with us. God is with you right now. 
in your own ways, could you make that confession over your life? God, with me. Just speak those words over your soul. Declare that truth that this season proclaims to us. God is with us. And accept and believe that it means that he's with you in all your brokenness and all your struggle. He's with you without conditions. He's with you in love and grace. When you know how broken you are, that is incredible good news. God, you're with us. You're with us. Lord, we pray that that truth would powerfully change us and make us into a people that learn to be with you. Make us hungry to be in your presence, to want to be around you, to be near you, to study you, to follow you, because we recognize in your presence we find all that we long for. But Lord, may it also empower us to be with others, to be with those that differ from us, those that don't believe as we do, but equally share in the brokenness of humanity. Help us to be with others. Jesus, let's respond to God in prayer worship. If you feel comfortable doing so as the worship team leads us, I invite you to raise your hands in the presence of God. Physical posture of surrender, of receiving. Let's turn to God. Let's let him speak to us.